I genuinely consider myself truly blessed to have met the people I have on my journey through orthodontics. And today, we have an opportunity to spend some time with one of my favorite people, a remarkable clinician, a true gentleman, and someone who shows love and caring to everybody he meets. I've been in his office, and today he's gonna to talk a little bit about what's created the winning office culture that he has and how he's empowered his team to make himself successful. So as I tell you every week, go grab that drink, or get on the treadmill, or start your car. But whatever you do, do not miss my time today with Dr. Stuart Frost. This, this, this is the Orthopreneur Show with Glenn Krieger, talking about the things you never learned in school, like marketing, management, and leadership. Hey there, everybody. It's Glenn Krieger, and I am here with one of my good friends, uh, one of my mentors, a person who's had a huge impact in my life, uh, and I'm sure maybe even yours, uh, Dr. Stuart Frost. Say hi, Stuart. Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Glenn, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So this is one guy I've been chasing for a while. Not that he's been hard to catch, but somebody I've really wanted to have in this for quite some time. And um, we're going to have a good time today, I hope. Uh, I know we are. Yeah. So to everybody out there, um, we're doing this interview uh, while we're at a CE event here at Draper University in San Mateo. And we just had to move into a bigger room, which has a bit of an echo. So I apologize uh, if you're going to hear a bit of an echo. But I just want to ask you, Stu, uh, I know your dad was a dentist. I know your brother was a dentist. So let's get started with you telling us a little bit, if you don't mind, um, about what made you go into this field? I mean, why did you get there? Uh, how did you get here? And uh, tell us a little bit about your past. I always knew, I knew that I wanted to be an orthodontist. It's just that um, if you're not in the, you know, the uh, top 5% of your dental class, it's going to take a while. And so, um, Were you an exception? Just as uh, historically speaking, I was, a, I was a horrible student when I was in school. I was horrible in high school. I was horrible in college. And I was great clinically in school, but I, I was what they call a um, non-traditional learner. We didn't know about it until later on, until I got out. So I knew the information. I just couldn't test it properly. And so I was never a phenomenal student. At any point. And what about yourself? Are you saying well, you were not like well, an amazing? Yeah. So it's interesting. I went into uh, University of Pacific with 60 college credits. Wow. I'd never taken anatomy and physiology, no bio uh, biochemistry. Wow. Um, no cell biology, nothing. So the first quarter of dental school, I, I woke up and I was like, what, what did I just get myself into? And uh, I think there's 138 students in our class, and I was ranked 117 right on. after the first quarter. So I knew clinically I was going to be fine. I, I've been watching my father, and, and uh, I had good hands. So I spent the rest of my dental career working my way back up, and I think I was like number 28 out of 138. But that required me. I remember sitting down with my dean of my dental school, Art Dagoni, and I said, I want to be an orthodontist. And he said, well... He said, uh, kind of just like you're chuckling now, right? Yeah, exactly. He said, well, Stu, you're going to have to build your assets. So I, I took that to mean that I wasn't getting in, but every year I applied uh, for school, but I kept, I just kept working with my father, kept doing what I, what I could, and um, eventually I realized that it was going to take something more. So after the fourth time applying, I went and did a TMJ residency. 
At Rochester. At, at Rochester. Yeah. I, yeah. Dr. Talons. At Ross Ro Talons. Ross Talons. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Our, our paths have so many little crossover points because yeah. I applied to 50 plus schools my first time through wow. and I didn't get into any of them. Yeah. And uh, I have no doubt grades played a huge role. And then uh, second time through, I applied to like 45 and I got in at that point of the game. Yeah. But um, I remember meeting Dr. Talons when I interviewed at Rochester and what a great guy. And there are so many orthodontists out there who sort of come through that program. And the nice thing is you've got a TMJ background now. Yeah. You know, I don't think that uh, we realize how important furthering education is. It doesn't matter if you do a one-year GPR, a two-year, or if you do a two-year TMJ residency. It just all builds your assets to who you become yeah. later in your orthodontic career. And that's what happened to me. I was in Rochester for just a couple of months and, and uh, you know, they told me that as long as you keep your keep working hard, you're, you're going to get right into the ortho program. That's and awesome. it, was, it was a great, great path. And the cool part is at that university, if I'm not mistaken, I think I remember, you're working literally in the ortho clinic. So you have the opportunity to really interact with the ortho residents the whole time you're going through your TMJ program, right? That's exactly right. And cool thing is we were teaching, I was teaching, I was learning really, but at the same time teaching all the ortho residents TMJ. We're, we're in the same clinic. I'm seeing patients in their ortho clinic, so it was a real gift. The, well, the real gift, I think, was Dr. Subtelny. Oh. Right? That guy was awesome. Yeah, I mean, his knowledge and understanding of cranial anatomy and, and growth and development was truly amazing. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, when we, I draw on that information from Dr. Subtelny, his cranial facial, his his ability to look at faces and help you diagnose what the face looks like, I draw on it every day. And you know, you also, if, if I remember correctly, that's where you really developed your relationship with the Damon system, right? That's where you really started learning about it. And, and just to, at this point, it's very fair for me to say, I don't care what company someone speaks for, I don't care uh, if they made $10 million a year or did it for free. Um, I value the person more than the product. Right, and so you know, people see Stu Frost, the face of Damon, right, so to speak. But at the end yeah. of the day, um, I've been in your practice twice now. I've watched mm -hmm. you work. You're one of the, and I don't want to sound like I'm kissing up to you here, but I think many would say yeah. you're a master clinician. Thank you. Your finishes are spectacular. Um, I've watched you finish. You pick up a. You've inspired me, a former restorative dentist, <laughs> to pick up the burr at every finish. Yeah. Which I wasn't doing enough, and it was you that inspired me that. Now, when, my, when the brackets are off and the cement is cleaned up, yeah. I sit down with a burr and I reshape the teeth and I, I do what I did before I became an orthodontist. Yeah, awesome. So, but, but I want to go back to that and say, I, I don't care that you are a KOL, a key opinion leader for yeah. Damon. That is nothing. That is a small part of who Stu Frost is. And anybody who knows you knows you are way more than the bracket system you use. I and mean, we'll get into that a little bit. Sure. But um, tell me about how you got started because I know the story, but I don't think anybody yeah. else out there does. Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer, and I believe in God, and um, I'm a big believer that He's in control of our lives. You know, too many of us try to direct our own lives, and we think we're in control, but sometimes it just takes surrendering, surrendering our will and let Him direct. So I, I thought I was supposed to be, I, I thought I was meant to be an orthodontist coming out of the University of the Pacific ortho program. I loved my dental career there. I loved the humanistic approach. And so I kept getting frustrated every time I applied to UOP and I didn't get in. So for four years in a row, I was so frustrated and I couldn't, I'm like, God, what's going on here? What, what's happening? And uh, it wasn't until I just stepped back and let him direct. I got right into the TMJ program, 
within a month of being at Eastman Dental Center, um, I, I was classmates, or I was in the, in the ortho space with Paul Damon, Dr. Damon's son. And they started talking about his dad coming and showing the program a new bracket that he had created. What year was this? This was 1997, right. September of 97. So they said, hey, would you want to come listen to him? And I said, absolutely. So it was a Saturday and I went, I sat on the front row. And you can imagine in this auditorium you've got, I was on the front row and there was like 12 rows before then all the ortho residents. And then above them were all the uh, faculty and Dr. Uh, Subtalny. And I just sat and listened to Dr. Damon for a few minutes. And I didn't know him, I didn't know what he created, I didn't know anything about him. But what I realized um, is that he was showing something completely different than I was experiencing as a general dentist. As a general dentist in my community, I would send patients out, they would be gone for two years, maybe they would come in for cleanings, and, but they would come back and I would take Panorex or take bite wings or I, I would look and I would see shortened roots. I was noticing a lot of perio problems, a lot of dehiscences, um, bone loss, and a lot of TMJ. And I, I'll never forget, I had one patient tell me, oh, my orthodontist caused my TMJ, and I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right to me. But when I, I watched all these patients in private practice, and then when I saw Dwight Damon, he was showing something completely different. Uh, oh, I should say also, the other thing I was seeing was extractions, a lot of extractions. In fact, my own nephew, went and, and got an ortho consult, and he came back that same day for me to pull his upper bicuspids. Wow. And I'll never forget pulling the bicuspids because I'm, I'm thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? So fast forward to Rochester and Dwight Damon, and he's showing these beautiful, broad smiles. The gum tissues look beautiful. There's no bone loss. There's non-extraction for the most part. There was a few he showed, but there was non-extraction for the most part. But the overall treatment that he was showing was just different. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is different than what I've experienced for five years, and I want to be a part of that. So immediately when I got accepted the next year, and Paul Damon was a senior, and I was you know, in my first year, we started treating some cases. It was funny, Glenn, because we would, we'd put the brackets on, and then we would put the 0-4 copper nitie in. The patients would come back 10 weeks later and, and I said to Paul, what do we do now? He'd say, I don't know, let's, let's call my dad. <laughs> so he'd get on the phone, he'd call his dad, and his dad would say, hey, put this 1625 copper nitie in, and we'd, we'd treat it that way for a year. And I just realized that uh, there was something different about this technique, this bracket, this system, and I wanted to be a part of it. So in 2000, when I graduated, I started using the Damon system. Of course, it was the most expensive bracket back then. It still is today, it was back then. But I knew that there was something different to this technology and I wanted to be a part of that and, uh, and that's why I put it in my practice right away. Yeah, and your outcomes are beautiful. And, Thank you. And I think, you know, when I was in ortho residency, I remember my faculty telling me, the tooth doesn't know what bracket it has on it, mm. right? And that's sort of a very simplistic way. And I, I respect that opinion sure. to a point, right? Mm -hmm. I, I really, there, there's, twin, there's active self-ligating, there's yeah. passive self-ligating, and I think you could go around the world and mm -hmm. find clinicians who give spectacular results with any bracket no system. No question. I have no doubt I could find for you G Billy Joe Jim Bob's ortho bracket, <laughs> right? He's, he just came out with a really nice <laughs> yeah. you know, catfish flavored um, bracket, yeah. 
And you could put it on patients and give them a beautiful result because your bracket placement is amazing because you've taught courses on bracket placement. Your finishing is amazing because you, te you teach a course on finishing, yeah. both of which I'm going to attend. Um, <laughs> and you know, you manage, and I've watched you manage your clinical. And, and so you know, I think on one hand we can say that any bracket can get you a decent result. Sure. But I, I also believe like a great chef, right, the, the right ingredients in the right hands work well. And there are some people for whom I think a self-ligating bracket might not work in their life. And I think there are people for whom, I know for you, a twin would not work in your life. Yeah. And, and I just think we have to all accept that and stop pointing fingers and screaming and yelling, this company, that company. It's not about the company. No. It, it's about our placement and what have you. And, no. and uh, I've just, I've loved watching what you've accomplished. Thank you. And can you mind if I just say something about that? Sure. I think it's really important for, for our, our group here to understand that um, I really don't care what bracket they use. I don't care if they, they are Henry Schein. I don't care if they use American um, or, or Armco. I, I know for me, what, like you said, what works for my hands, but I think that what I don't see in our profession today, which I hope to have, is, is a collaboration across all platforms, all companies, all bracket systems. Be great. We, we need a collaboration. We need to work together to create beautiful finishes more than ever before. And uh, you know, do I, do I speak for Armco? Yes. Do I like their products and innovation and their R&D? Yes. Um, but I mean, more importantly, when are we as a profession gonna come together, support each other, yeah. I mean, there's a, right now I, I see a lot of groups on the, uh, on the social media groups on Facebook that are um, in orthodontics. Right. And I'm, I'm seeing some of these groups that are people are pointing fingers or, or are getting passionate about uh, one type of extraction or non-extraction. And, and people are, 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 not, are not being nice. I know. And personally, I, I just uh, I don't think I have room in my my space in my mind and my heart right now for that because I feel like we're pulling in such a beautiful direction, creating more beautiful finishes than ever before, doing it in a way where it uplifts the patients. We've got airway that that's coming on strong. We have all yeah. these things that are positive in our profession. I agree. To sit and nitpick each other on on a social media platform is uh, it's disheartening. Yeah, I agree. And I I personally have dropped out of a couple of groups online in the last. A month because I just felt there was too much hostility, too much anger, too much vitriol that just throws back and forth because we've got nothing to gain by that. And I've decided yeah. just hunker down. Orthopreneurs is a place where nobody will ever fight, yell, scream. I won't tolerate it. Negativity is not awesome. going to be there. Worry about positivity. And for everybody out there who doesn't uh, know uh, Stu um, well, um, I will tell you that what you're hearing from him now is how he lives his life. I've stayed in your Thank house, you. right? Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. spent, I've had dinner with you and Christina. Yeah. And, um, he is truly like this master clinician gentleman who really, you know, I don't ever think I've ever heard you talk bad about people. I don't ever, you know, even if I came to you and I would show you a case would probably, I put the, if I put the brackets on upside down and backwards, <laughs> you'd probably gently pull me aside and say something along the lines, well, you know, each bracket has a purpose and if it's not in the right place, yeah. it's probably not going to get the result we need. So let's talk about this. Yeah, and that. so for those out there who don't know you, but know the name Stuart Frost or I've seen you present, that's how you are all the time. You really are about go-giving. Thank you. You're, right? I mean, you're all about everybody. You know, if we all give into the pot, right. we all get the same amount out of the pot, right? Yeah. And, and the more you pay forward, the more you get back. Hey, we live in a world today where it's all about me. It's all about m me and what I can do and what I can give and what, 
what I am. It's what you can eyes, get. What I can get. And worse yet, what can I get from you? Yes, and I think that that's the the the, the true inner authenticity to, to to fight that. We're all by nature. That's us. Yeah. It's human humanity. But I think the ability to to really give and and to to help everyone. That's what it's all about. I agree. And yeah. I want to touch on a couple of things you've talked about sure. so far. Uh, one, you know, you did mention that at the beginning, Damon brackets are more expensive. And, you know, generally speaking, an engineered self ligating bracket is going to be more expensive than a twin that has no moving parts. Sure. Um, for those out there who might be struggling with overhead, for those out there who are younger or even more experienced and scared about, oh, I can't spend more on a bracket. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to buy a CBCT because it's, it's not worth the money. Mm. I'm not going to buy uh, a scanner because it's not, which I think we've gotten past that part at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to buy expensive brackets or special wires or copper nitide because that's just expensive. How do you personally reconcile the idea of, you know what, these brackets I'm buying might be four or five, six times the price of another bracket. How, how, what would you say to somebody out there who says, I just can't get around that? Well, I have to go back to my father for a second because in 1992, when I graduated from dental school, I was at my dad's office and um, a big, maybe six months there, a big box showed up at the front door. UPS dropped it off. And I remember my dad getting this cool grin on his face and uh, he opened it up and it was a Fuji cam, dent cam. Do you remember those, Glenn? It, was it the Fuji S1 or S2? It was probably the S1. You're talking about first for one. intraoral photography? Intraoral photography. It had a, yeah, it had a micro drive on it. Yes. And, um, I remember that camera well. Yeah. That, was, that was right there with the Nikon D100 around the same time. Those were the two cameras that competed for yep. clinical photography. Yeah. Well, this one was an intraoral camera. So it, is this what you're talking about? Yeah. So. Well, no, I, I was talking about an extraoral. Oh, but are you okay. talking about the one, the wand? The wand. The, oh, yes. Exactly. Oh, I remember. Okay, so this is a wand, and it's kind of funny that we're sitting here talking about the first, the wand, <laughs> the wand. like you know, it was so important. Yeah. Like today, like uh, you can buy that on Amazon for like three ninety nine. Okay. Plug it into your camera. Exactly. It's my dad funny. opens it up. He's excited. My mom comes out. She worked in the office, and she's like, "What is this?" And he said, "It's a Fuji dent cam camera system. You can blow up the picture by ten times, and they can see the cracked teeth." And I said, Dad, how much does that cost? He said, $45,000. Wow. And I thought my mom was going to smack him. And so I've always had this. I have a hard time believing that anybody in the Frost family yeah. would ever behave in such a fashion. She was a redhead. She oh, was Katie go. and she was a redhead. But, you, uh, <laughs> you know, so he instilled in me the, the value of technology. And, and so here's my thought process. When I got out, I wanted to get the smiles and the results like Dr. Damon. So I wanted to do everything he was doing so I got those results. And it wasn't until later I realized a couple of things. One, you know, we talk about efficiencies in the practice and we talk about appointments, number of appointments. Now back, back in 2000, maybe 2006, Ormco started saying things like, you never have to extract teeth, you don't have to use headgear, you don't have to use expander, you're gonna finish six months faster with Damon. You have all these sayings and things that they were saying that really turned a lot of people off. It made, it made other people feel like, you think you guys are so great that you can do all that, and, you know, and, and, and here we are, we, you know, we still extract and we still use headgear. And I, thought, and I think that was the wrong thing for Ormco to do. Since then, we've really stepped back, and, and really what it comes down to, this is my, my feeling, if a bracket system is gonna save you appointments, let's say you save three appointments, 
in your overall treatment. If the national average for treatment with braces is 24 to 27 months, and now you're treating in 18 to 20 months, that's three appointments. And if we calculate out per appointment what we get in money, you know, if it's, if it's $200 an appointment or $300, whatever your most efficiency, you're efficient at, you think about that, that's $600 to $800. If you're more efficient, then the numbers pencil out. It's, for a Damon case, you're less than 300 bucks to put a Damon case on right. versus a twin, what, $70 or something? Even less, potentially. I mean. Yeah, so there's, there's where you make up the difference. And that's how my mind has always gone. And people go, yeah, but you still have to pay for the bracket. And I go, I get it. Yeah. But that's how I look at this. Efficiency, saving time in treatment, and for end result. Yeah, and I, would, I agree with you. I think that the challenge is in a practice like yours, mm -hmm. which by all accounts would be considered a larger practice, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can be more efficient, it means you can get more patients in the door. Yeah. For that startup guy, it may be more challenging for them to see it because, okay, great, I just freed up an appointment, but I still have six hours of open time, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I've always believed in investing in technology, right? Um, and, and you know, I haven't been the best at coming around to understanding the concept of self-ligation, but I've now gotten there. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to magically put teeth in the right position if no. I don't put the bracket there. No. I don't think it's going to magically finish cases faster if I don't choose my wires and my treatment intervals properly. Right. And it's certainly not going to finish cases any better if I don't know how to finish a case. 100%. Um, but like uh, a race car, I think, at least this is my personal opinion, having watched you I've gone to a lot of offices in the last four years, mm -hmm. and um, I think like a race car, if you put the right driver in the right car, they win the race. Yeah. And God bless my wife, I've known her 29 years. Uh, if I put my wife in a race car, uh, she's gonna go 55 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour on the highway, <laughs> and it's not gonna get there any faster. Right. Because that's, it's not gonna benefit her, but if, but if you're a clinician, I think, who's driving to learn the best, be the best, and I hear it all the time in all these social media groups, yeah. we've got to do the best for our patients, right? Well, you know, I think walking the walk sometimes is, is useful, and less time in treatment, I think we have to look at it like a surgeon looks at treatment, and I heard it from a surgeon not too long ago, my job is to get in, solve the problem, and get out as fast as I can. Mm. And that's why I started looking at ortho. My job is to get in, solve the problem, get out as fast as I can with, a, with an excellent result, of course. Yeah. And so, uh, thanks for touching on that. I appreciate it. You bet. So let's, let's move on to something more fun. Okay. More fun than, and by the way, as an, as an aside, coming from restorative backgrounds, having both had fathers who were restorative doctors, right? right? Having both worked in our dad's practices and had our own sort of space there. Yeah. The world of ortho is so, flipping efficiently productive financially mm. compared to restorative dentistry. <laughs> no if doubt. you've worked in restorative dentistry and you've paid lab bills and all the other things that go with it and a hygienist, you know, $40, $50 an hour, yeah. you recognize that the cost of your bracket, while slightly substantial when you pay for it, we do, there's rarely an orthodontic practice that runs at 70% overhead, right. 72% overhead. It just doesn't happen right. unless you're really kind of in a, a tough bind. In restorative, that's not uncommon. Yeah. So going from restorative to ortho, our margins are so different. I mean, even an inefficiently run ortho practice is at sixty percent. Yeah, we're still we're still ahead of the ball game. You know what's interesting? I go back to, to that, and I don't want to take us all the way back, but when when I was a restorative dentist and, and cosmetic dentist, I mean, we had the same same dilemma. 
We had one lab that would give, you could get a, a porcelain fused to metal Oh um, yes, crown, you're right. And you're right. it was, uh, I can't remember the metals, it was a... They, they did, well you had semi-precious, oh, yeah. precious, yeah. and non-precious. Right, so the non-precious, you'd, you'd, you'd pay a hundred bucks for for a crown, yeah. but if you did the semi-precious or the precious, which I felt like were the better crowns that last a long time, yeah, those exactly. things were going to stay in there forever, and, and it's the same, it's same, same exactly. thing. It's the same thing I remember paying $17,500 for the lab bill yeah. for one case. Yeah. One case. It was Maybe. a zirconia bridge, zirconia, right. upper and lower hybrid case, seventeen five. Right. Swedish tra Swiss trained. I didn't care. Yeah. My patients deserved it. I just charged more. That's right. And, and, they, and they did it. And you probably, if you would have used non-precious, it probably would have cost you 12000 If I used metal, metal. It, was all, it was all zirconia. It was beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. So let's, let's go back now to culture, because we talked about The Go-Giver, which I know is yeah. a book in your life. Yeah. Yeah, you like that. Yeah. And um, I've been to your office, and I've integrated, I've borrowed, not stolen, some of the stuff yeah. you do culturally in your office. And sure. talk a little bit about, because I could describe it, but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the culture in your office, and sort of your team members. For those of you out there who have never been to Frost Ortho, it's like watching a symphony because all the players know their role. Every one of them has a smile on their face. They are all so eager to help people. Um, you feel when you visit like you're in royalty. I'm sorry if you're gonna get a thousand requests to come visit. Uh, he teaches, he's teaching educational programs with, um, what's the name of your? Frost Smile Academy. Yeah, so the Frost Smile Academy, relatively new. He's teaching all sorts of stuff. And just as a quick shameless plug, if they wanna learn more about it, where would they go? Uh, DrStuartFrost.com. That's with a U, not an EW. That's so right. Everybody knows. That's right. Um, but you know, if you ever get to his office for any of the courses or get to see what's going on, you will see a culture that drives everything. Every person is smiling. Everybody's literally everybody's there, like a concierge level service. And we don't talk about it. He actually lives it. The morning huddle is about thankfulness, goal setting. It changed my practice after I came back from yours the first time. Awesome. Where we all do hands in the middle, awesome yeah. day on three. Yep. You know, it, it's like being part of a team. If you played college or high school sports, it's like being part of a team and everybody knows the part they play and they play it well. And so how did you get there? Right? Because I know right now, listening to this podcast, there are tons of people out there who can't even find a team member, <laughs> let alone develop an office culture because the car keeps getting stuck in the mud. Right. What what advice would you give them out there? How did you develop what you did? I know it's a broad question. But try to hit it the best you can. Sure. Well, it's interesting. We're, we're all on a journey. Some of us are in the beginning of the journey. Some are halfway through. Some are towards the end. And uh, my journey started off in 2000 with, with the goal to be the best orthodontist in the world. And that sounds a little, you know, pretentious and everything, but that was my goal. And so for the first 10 years of my practice, all I focused on was beautiful finishes. I didn't focus on, I called all of my, my team members. They were all staff members. I didn't have a team. I had an office with a bunch of people in it. And uh, so for 10 years, that's all I did as I created beautiful finishes. And I realized something is that I created these beautiful finishes in my community, but yet my, my practice wasn't growing at, at an astronomical uh, level. And um, one other thing that I realized is that I didn't like being the boss. I didn't like being the, the leader in the practice. I don't know why that is, but I, I, Interesting. I was too interested in the finishes and the outcomes to, to deal with all the other stuff. So about four years ago, I realized that um, 
I had, a, I had a little epiphany in high school, and I'm not to go back to high school, but you know, we all love to so go back good. and live those glory days, right? When you were hitting people on the, on the I gridiron. Was, I was on the gridiron and... and um, linebacker, yeah, right? Yeah, I was the middle linebacker. Anybody ever seen Stu on the stage? <laughs> Imagine him in full pads coming at you, full, full yeah. bore yeah. With, with his brother. Yeah, my twin brother played outside linebacker, and, and uh, we were good. We went 14-0 and and took the state championships. He and I were the captain of this, of this team. We were co-captains. And um, I realized, I, I was looking back and thinking about my life, and, and we learned more about life than, than football. And the team had a cohesiveness about this team that was, was unbelievable. Um, we, we got along, we had these things called perfect plays. Our coach would have us, at the end of practice, he'd say, we're gonna do three perfect plays. And he described it as this. We come to the huddle, it's perfect description of the play, perfect running to the line, everybody has the position, everybody goes on the, the, the set hike, and everybody executed, and did their downfield blocks, and hustled back to the huddle. If anybody missed their play, missed their block, fumbled, um, you know, was lazy, coach would say, do it again. And we would spend hours at the end of practice. It, the sun would be going down, until he would raise that football up <laughs> and say, perfect play. <laughs> And uh, you know, it taught me a lesson that each person on our team had a, a job to do. But you can imagine, we're in here for out there, the sun's going down, it's hot, we're tired, and somebody screws up, you get back to the huddle, what happens? Somebody says, damn it, why'd you do that? Come on, and you start to see the breakdown of the team, and then we'd, you know, the leaders would step up and say, hey, let's get back together, let's go, we got this, come on, let's do this, and we'd have three perfect plays. Well, about four years ago, I realized that I have to be the leader of my team. My, I have a team. Every day I walk, I go to a team. And if I want to hit the state championship, I got to put the team together. It has to fall on me. So what I realized is that I had no, no culture in my practice. I had no culture. The culture was me creating beautiful smiles and treating people good. And then some of my team members would, would also kind of fall in place. And I realize that there's more to it. In fact, the, 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 be very transparent here. Everybody knows Scott Law in the ortho space. I went and saw Scott Law's practice about four years ago. And I walked in and I felt the culture. I felt the leadership of what he was doing with his practice. Now this is before, way before Smile Doctors and you know, a couple hundred practices. This is when he had two practices. And I said, whoa, something's different here. And he, he tried to explain to me what he was doing, but I couldn't grasp it. I went back to my office and I told my wife, I said, I gotta do something different. I just witnessed something magical here. And I called my nephew up, who's Chase, and Chase and my son Brad, they run the Frost Smile Academy. And Chase was on one of the earlier podcasts right. with Mike Vidikin, a futurist in yeah. NBA. I think it was two or three, but anyway. Yeah. Chase, Chase, I'm pretty high energy. Yeah. Chase. Oh. He'll make both Chase is a jackrabbit compared to me. <laughs> great guy, yeah. great mind, yeah. really nice, really honest, and I know what he does for you behind it. Everybody needs a Chase Frost in their life, we or, need a, or Chase. a Mike Vidikin. No question. I called Chase on the phone. He was working for a company called Sixth Division. They, were, they would teach businesses how to incorporate Infusionsoft. And then he would teach them how to grow their practice, their businesses, and he, I said to him, Chase, I need some help here. I need culture, where do I go? And he said, oh, come down to my, my business. I have a guy, his name is David Bonney, and he teaches a course, it's a day and a half course. It was only $5,000. Which, by the way, for the record, yes. 
people out there just heard you say it's only five thousand dollars. Yeah. And um, they don't realize like it's a drop. It's a lot of money, yeah. right? But it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Compared to to what you're going to get out of it. Yeah. You know what? I would have paid ten after knowing what I know now. I would have paid paid ten. Would you have paid fifty? I probably knowing what I know now, it'd be cl- I think I'd pay forty. <laughs> <laughs> Forty-two-five. <laughs> so anyway, so you went to David Bonney. Yeah. So we sat for a whole day, and uh, he helped me identify what my core values were on the inside, and then what I wanted my core values to be in my practice. Right. We sat down and identified that, and then he taught me how to hire to fit. I like that. Hire people to fit my core values and my practice, and that changed everything. I um, I went back. He said to me one interesting thing, and I think all of the listeners out there need to realize this, that if you're gonna do this, and you're really gonna say, I need to be a leader, and I need to change the culture, be prepared that you're gonna probably lose 80% of your team members, but you're gonna replace them with those that are amazing. So the truth of it is, is, five years later, I have two team members that are still the same from five years ago. Everybody left because they didn't fit the culture. They kind of, when they start realizing, you know, I didn't fire everybody right away. People start realizing they're not fitting and then they move right. on. And people get so upset sometimes. My assistant just gave me notice. Great. Yeah. yeah. You know, unless, unless you, and, and I think it's important to recognize that a lot of times, I, I want to take back great because it has to take into account the fact that you've already developed your culture and that you're being honest with yourself. Yeah. Right, because a lot of times, oh, she gave me notice, well, great, she doesn't fit anyway. Well, maybe you didn't set the culture the way it needs to be. Maybe you're not looking yourself in the mirror Right and becoming the leader you need to be. That's right. Crazy. So when people hear it and say, "Well, you know, she doesn't fit my culture. I'm getting rid of her." Well, time out, because before you do that, you need to develop your culture. And if you think you've developed your culture, you probably haven't. You know what? That's so true. It's so true. And, and I think that the biggest thing I learned is that I have to stand in front of that mirror every day and remind myself, "Hey, this isn't necessarily about me. It's about everybody there, and I could be wrong." You, you, you said it right there. And, and so that was what happened for me. I went and I said, okay, I'm gonna change the culture. I'm gonna change the fit. Um, I changed the huddle. My morning huddle consisted of this. Hey, welcome everybody. Um, who do we have coming in today? Exactly. What are the problems? Who are we gonna talk about? What mother are we scared to, you know, gonna come yeah, in and give us heck, you know? And Who's gonna rip us a new one? Who's gonna rip us a new one? Who, do we, who's, who owes us money? I was about to say, who owes us money? Who owes us money? Okay, make sure you don't progress treatment on that person. That was our morning huddle. Talk and that's about the morning it. huddle of most of us, not me anymore, no. but the people out there listening. Yeah, it, talk about a negative way to start your day. Oh, I, I, I don't do those anymore. No. Because uh, A, I walk in the door and if you start talking about that mom who's negative, I don't wanna hear it. No. My, my, I drive the culture from the top down. I learned that from that's you. And, if, I, and if, if they start saying, oh, this one owes money, this one's late, this one's gonna the tough one, you get into a negative mindset. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that negative mindset somehow comes out and it starts trickling down. Yeah. And I realized I was toxic. I was sabotaging my morning huddles. That's right. That's and right. it took me seeing your team. And that's why I've always said, go visit offices. Yeah. You'll see good, you'll see bad. But when you see great, you aspire to be like that. And so I stopped doing my morning huddles the way you're talking about. Yeah. It, thanks for sharing that. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that um, when I went on this journey of culture, hire to fit, leadership, I, I realized within myself that I had to change. I had to, I had to perform and do all those things. 
And so I, I went down, I've been listening to podcasts, I'm reading books. You know, I, up until five years ago, I, I only read one book, it was called Outliers by <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Great, great book. book. Yeah. But then I started on this journey of, of recreating myself and taking myself to a whole new level and then instilling that in my team members. And that's the tough part. Yeah. Because as we've all heard, there's very few industries where the direct report, which is your assistant, mm -hmm. has such a huge disparity in education. Yeah. Right. We went to grade 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. Many of them have barely finished grade 12. Right. And I'm not, I don't want this to be misconstrued in thinking that people who don't go to college don't have an intellect. That's not true. Right. But the educational process has never occurred to them. Right. They finished 12th grade, they went out, maybe they had a child, maybe they had a relationship, who knows? The stories we hear all the time. And then they went into dental assisting for whatever reason, or front desk, and they were never really put through a college curriculum. They were never put through a process or came from a home where there was reading time every day or self-improvement was a, a critical aspect of their life. And I know for many out there, the challenge is taking that person who comes in and then saying, hey, here's a book I'd like you to read. Well, am I going to get paid for it? You know, do I have to? What's going to happen if I don't? Yeah. And you get those questions, oftentimes that's an indicator maybe the culture is wrong or maybe it's an indicator this person just has no time in their life and you need to step in and help them somehow. Right, because we always see it from one side. No question. And I, again, I learned that from you. You know. Well, thank you. One one of our hire to fit. One of the um, things we do is we put people through a a gauntlet. We ask them questions. We ask them to read the Go Giver, and give us a book report. We ask them other things. They go through a process. So you actually ask them to read it completely or audiobook it. I suspect absolutely. Um, and as many are probably listening to this in their car right now. Um, and so then they have to actually give you a written book report or an oral book it's report? It's written. How big? You ever Whatever ask? it takes. So interesting. So at, at one of the interviews, you say, hey, by the way, if you'd like to work here, where I can ask you to please read this book and report back in a week? We, we ask them to read it within a week so we can get this process moving. Wow. And then they come back in. So there's, there's a gauntlet that's involved, and this is probably a podcast that would take a whole hour to go through it. But yeah. what I found is this, Glenn, is that I started investing in my team members. I put them through a, a Frost, if you will, a Frost Academy or Frost University because what I wanted to do is raise their culture, raise their emotional IQ by being a part of this team. Amen. And I realized that it started at the morning huddle. So what we do in our, our morning huddle is we, we start off, um, the girls are there by 7.15 and they're going through the, the back office. My daughter Megan is, she's a rock star by the way and I know you Ma know that. Megan is, by the way, <laughs> if Megan was not your daughter, I would uh, go out and ask her if she's willing to relocate yeah. and work in my practice. Yeah. She is, but every, like, honestly, Megan is an A++ yeah. and everybody else in your office is an A+. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like she stands out so much above them, she's just amazing. Yeah, thank you. She meets with the back office team at 7.15. They go through the cases for the day at 7.30 on the dot. Now, I never miss this time. I want them to know that this is the most important thing in my life right at that moment. I start at 7.30 and we have our huddle. Now, our huddle changed. And um, I watched Scott Law's team do this and um, I wanted to do it a little bit better because I think he, they did it great, but I wanted to do it something a little different. So it started off with, I said to him, we're no longer doing the huddle the way that we used to do it. And they looked at me funny and I said, this time, 
all we're going to do is recognize, recognize the greatness that we saw in each other either yesterday or what you think about people. And we're just going to share that with each other. Blew me away. Yeah. Blew me away when I was there the first time. Yeah. Can you imagine, um, first of all, that first huddle, maybe we only had two comments and everybody stared at each other. The silence was pretty deafening. But can you imagine a team that goes home at the end of the day and they know they're coming back to this huddle the next morning, so all they're thinking about is what happened that day that was good. Yeah. Because they want to share with their teammates what they recognize in each other that was great. And now we call this framing. Um, one of the things I learned from David Bonney was he said, he said, one thing, if you're going to create this culture in your practice, if you see somebody do something in your practice that's part of your culture or core value, he said, frame it. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, just call it out and say, what you just did was awesome. And he said, just start doing this. So what we do is we frame the awesomeness or greatness in each other. So Megan will come in the next morning and she'll say, you know, uh, Patty, when you were talking to that patient and you were more interested in them than cleaning up your station, I thought that was awesome. And then she'll say, I framed that. And uh, all of a sudden what happened is we started having these team members who were quiet, that never said anything, that weren't part of the culture, now they're like feeling comfortable and a little vulnerable to be able to share with each other what they see and the greatness in each other. And all of a sudden this meeting became this love fest. Everybody's- It was crazy, man. I was like, <laughs> I felt like I'd walked into like a commune in the woods somewhere, you know, like, okay guys, we're all gonna run down to the beach now, so take your clothes off, we're gonna go swimming. You know, we're all, it was like this, but it, it freaked me out because by nature, I'm a linear thinker. I'm not a touchy-feely kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem telling people I, I love them or care about them. And, but I was in that room and it, you, you have what, first of all, you have like, what, 350 team members? Yeah, I think there's something like that. <laughs> About 22. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, and they were just sitting there sharing. Mm -hmm. hey, and they looked at each other. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a show. No. You know, A would look at B and look at her and say, yesterday, when I was talking to that mom and you came out and you cleaned that table behind me, um, that was amazing. I was sitting there going, my gosh, the level of communication. Yeah. And again, the people listening to this, many of whom are just struggling to fill a team, yeah. right? So it's important to realize that this is the major leagues, right? This is yeah. all-star game level stuff. This is Rod Carew. I'm mm. gonna date myself a little bit, <laughs> right? Let's go to football. This is yeah. like, you know, Dan Marino, John Elway. I mean, this is yeah. best of the best practices. Yeah. So I don't think people should be discouraged if they're still playing high school ball. Because you, you, it doesn't happen overnight. No. It doesn't happen without energy and effort. And, and this is not a knock on what goes on out there. Because I visit a lot of practices and in orthopreneurs. We have 3,700 doctors. Right. A lot of people say to me, you know, it's 5 o'clock. I'm running home. i got to go be with my family. I'm running straight home. I'm, my kids are waiting for me. And I, I say, but your practice is one of your kids. you got to work on your practice. And family is important. And there has to be that balance. But some people are lucky with culture. They just yeah. happen to hire people that follow them. Right. Others never get lucky. And then there are folks like you who may have gotten a little luck with some of the folks who came in, but now you have people coming to you asking if they can work there. Oh, it's crazy what's happened. Um, people, we had a, we had a party uh, 
at the beginning of the year to celebrate bringing on my new um, associate slash partner, Trevor, Trevor Nichols. Trevor's awesome. Rockstar. Trevor right? is rockstar. Rockstar. Right? And, and for everybody out there, how did you find an amazing, right? It just, you do good, good happens. And it follows you. Exactly. If you're going to be positive and uplifting to other people and, and a giver, that's going to come back to you. So we had this party and this lady comes up to me and, and, and shakes my hand. She's a cute little lady with three kids and I thought she was a mother of a patient and I shook her hand, I hugged her. I, I Don't thought, you hate I, you that know, feeling when you just... I'm like, okay, who is this? But I'm going to hug you anyways. <laughs> exactly. So I hugged her and then later I find out that she was just there because she was turning in an application. At the party. She wanted to be a part of that party. She yeah. wanted to be a part of our office and that's what happens. You know, the, the culture and the, and the, 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 the caring it starts exuding into our patients' lives. And I really firmly believe this, Glenn, that when you create this culture and this atmosphere, this work environment that has like-mindedness and everybody on the same team is pulling for the same thing. It's about the patient, it's about positivity, it's about the one, making them better than they, they were when they walked through the door. We start attracting those kind of patients. Yeah. My whole practice has changed because we, we have a practice full of these patients that are just like amazing people. It's great, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. And with social media, it's so easy for this to happen. Yeah. You can, it used to be, so go back to like 1992 when, yeah. when we both graduated dental school. There yeah. was no way for us to tell our story. No. Maybe you sent a patient newsletter out, right, right. in the olden days. Right. right, But you had no way to tell your cultural story. No. Nowadays, you know, if, if anybody wants to go, what's your name, what's your handle on Instagram? Mine's at Dr. Stuart Frost. Yeah, so go check out his Instagram account and just watch it for a little bit and you'll see, you can see the happiness, you can see the joy. Yeah. In my practice, I've had so many patients ask me, you know, are you hiring? And, and that's a sticky question to answer sometimes because yeah. you know the patient. But, you know, the culture just comes through and, I, and you've just done a remarkable job. And at the, end, at the end of the meeting, after all the positivity, you know, you'll ask for goals, right? That's been a big one for my practice as well. I think, yeah, and, and I think that so here's the thing, I think we need, it's really important to understand that that morning huddle can be whatever you want it to be. And it, it can change. In the beginning we started with just awesomeness. Then on Mondays we decided that, um, that we would, because you know, you go on the weekend, you forget what people did and how awesome it was. So Mondays what we decided to do, if we didn't have a lot of awesomeness, what we would do is then we'd bring the whole group together in a huddle. And many of them started holding hands or putting their arms, linking their arms. It was it's awesome. Pretty cool. I mean, it was really organic. Really cool. And then we started sharing, okay, well, what are your goals for this week? So everybody would share a goal, what they were going to work on. And, it, and it's funny because what happened is the following week, people would remember what somebody else was working on and they would call back and say, when you worked on that, that inspired me to do this. Yeah. It's really cool. So Mondays are our goals. And then I was listening to a podcast by Lewis Howes, The School of Greatness. Nice. I'm, a, I'm really big on the podcast and I love what you're doing here because you're, you are elevating. There's, there's Lance Miller and yeah, others who are, are elevating um, orthodontics. Kyle, Kyle Fagel is yep, fantastic Kyle. with what he's doing, digital orthodontist and yep. elevator ortho. I mean, I want to give props to those guys because they inspire me. And Absolutely. I went, and, and just as an aside, I haven't spoken about it, but before I started this podcast, mm -hmm. I went to Lance and said, at, I think it was the NISO meeting where we were both speaking. I think he was there with his team. And I said, hey, Lance, do you mind? I'd like to do a podcast. I feel like I just have, I feel it's like just another expression of waiting to give back to the sure. profession. And he said, absolutely, go for it, man. I feel there's a lot of bandwidth out there. And yeah. so I wanted people to know that, but 
Lance did with Elevate is he was the groundbreaker. He was the first one to do it. And then Kyle's doing his amazing thing with the digital orthodontist. Have you seen it yet? No. He what Kyle's doing with digital orthodontist cool. is awesome. Yeah, he's he's uh, it's like <laughs> Kyle is amazing. It's like watching a talk show. He'll bring somebody on. He's got a sport coat on. He's got his coffee mug. It's like Kyle Letterman almost. <laughs> and he just he always has games and it's fun to watch awesome. and it's just it. It's great. So yeah, we've got some great people in here. But sorry for interrupting. No, there. I wanted I to give it. a shout out to people who are amazing. You know, we. I I think that one thing I love about you, Glenn, is that you're always acknowledging greatness in others. Oh, it's it, a, it's a great quality. I appreciate that. It really means is. a lot for me. And I just want to add one more thing to that mm -hmm. comment. I learned again. I hate dating myself. You know, because you and I are within <laughs> a year of each other's yeah, age. Yeah. We're both 27. Yeah, and a half. <laughs> and a half, yeah. So Gene Kelly, mm -hmm. who many out there will not recognize a name, but they might recognize Fred Astaire. These are the two best dancers in movies over the 40s, 50s, 60s. I mean, they were legendary uh, Academy Award stuff. And they asked Gene Kelly, who I always used to love watching when I was a really little boy, they said, what made you such an amazing dancer on screen? Because he was really legendary. Yeah. And I'll never forget his answer. And it goes back to what you said is he said, the way to always be an amazing dancer is make your partner look as good as you can. Yeah. And I think it goes in life is make your partner look as good as you can. Make your team look as good as you can. Totally. Make the person you're interviewing look as good as you can. Yeah. Make those who've paved the way like Kyle and Lance, look as good as you can. Absolutely. You know, because you started off saying all this negativity that's out there. Yeah. You know, everybody has redeeming value. Everybody has inherent value. Um, just because they do something I don't like doesn't make them throw away. You know, I can disagree with you and still right. respect you. Right. And that's disappearing in our culture today. Yeah. And, and looking for that, I think, you know, I think you believe this too, but it's like rock climbing. You know, you just want to find that purchase. You want to find that spot of good, mm. grab it. And you hope that in that person, if you can grab that good sure. and acknowledge it and say, hey, you know what? You know, you're awesome or you did this great thing that maybe it just inspires them to grab it somewhere else and pay yeah. it forward a little bit. And yeah. some, are, some are immune to that and that's okay. Yeah. I choose not to associate in my life, but just make your partner look good. It's so great. You know, um, I was listening to this podcast by Lewis Howes, and his podcast is called The School of Greatness. School of Greatness, yeah. I mean, that alone is, is attractive to listen to, but he was interviewing Glenn Beck. Huh. We're going back to the team huddle for a second, because I instituted one other thing in here just fairly recently um, that, that has made, has taken my team to a whole new level. Glenn Beck was on there, and I- Greatest I, guy in person, by the way. Is, I've met I've him. I've never met him before. Yeah, I, I, I know the producer of his show and I've met okay. him personally. And all okay. the screaming and ranting he does on TV and people right. think he's bananas. Yeah. He is the softest, gentlest man I've ever been around, including yourself. Uh, he is just... That's awesome. He, and he's huge, too. Is he a big guy? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Like, he could... He, if you're a linebacker, he's a lineman. Really? Yeah, but uh, just sorry for interrupting, no, but I've met him. I love and him. And he, he, his persona that he plays on, t on TV, he, is, he, he speaks really... Like this, yeah. And he it's looks at the calming eye. voice. Very gentle, yeah. gentle man. Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, so you're listening it's good. to Glenn Beck. I'm listening to this, and he's talking. Lewis Howes is interviewing him and, and talking about greatness and talking about his journey because, you know, Glenn Beck at, at one point, uh, you know, before Trump and all that, he was he had a big following. Oh yeah. And and it it was he was making a lot of money, 
and he went kind of nuts on people, went nuts on Trump, went nuts yeah. on the whole, and he lost his following. Yeah. And so he's written a new book, and, and Lewis is interviewing him, and he's telling his stories. And I love listening to his stories because he has that soothing voice. Oh, yeah. He's talking about being an alcoholic and how he overcame that. He's yeah. talking about his father, how he healed his relationships. And then he starts talking about his lack of self-esteem and how he had to find his self-esteem. And he says this really interesting thing. He said, he said to Lewis, he goes, Lewis, do are, are you believe in the Bible? <laughs> I mean, that's this a pretty bold statement to do yeah. on a... On a podcast and he and he said Lewis said yes and he goes what's the most powerful statement in the Bible and Lewis is like well I don't know um, do unto others um, Ten Commandments okay. and he says no it's when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he, he goes to it and he sees the burning bush and he said what was it that God said to Moses. And Lewis is like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, I don't know. <laughs> What's he going to say? <laughs> and Glenn said, when God introduced himself to Moses, he said, I am. I am that I am. And Glenn said, I realize that God didn't introduce himself as the, the great or the all omnipotent. He said, I am. He, God himself used an I am statement, a positive statement. And Glenn said that it was at that moment that he realized, as he read that, that we all suffer, especially all these women we work with, with I am statement problems. Because we, we, we deal with 22 women who have low self-esteem. We have women who haven't been to college. They, don't, they, they haven't worked on themselves. They're comparing themselves to each other. And when I heard him say that, I, I just realized, oh my gosh, we're going to do something different in our huddle. So I said to my team one day, I said, we're going to do something different. We're going to do I am statements. And I remember back as I was listening to this, do you remember um, Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? I'm good enough. I'm, I'm good smart enough. enough. And by golly, people like people me. People like me? Is that the best? <laughs> that was the greatest. This is what I remembered. And I thought, Daily you know inspiration. <laughs> Daily inspiration. Smalley. Stuart Smalley. So I went to my team and I said, okay, we're doing something different today. We're going to do I am statements. I like that. And they looked at me like, what? And I go, we're going to share and be vulnerable here. And I want you to share an I am statement. And they all kind of like, are you crazy? And I think this is part of what's made my team so great is helping them be vulnerable with each other and not hide behind masks or hide behind different things that, that don't allow them to really share who they are and what they're working on. And I said, this I am statement can be something that you are right now or something you want to become. And I'll never forget it because my stepdaughter, who was 16 or no, she was 17 at the time, about ready to graduate. She'd been through having a tough time, yeah. struggling in her life. And, and so she had been down a journey, but she said in that, that morning statement, she said, I am good enough. Nice. And everybody yeah. in the whole team started crying. And, and, then and, we have, and as you're saying this, I see I you mean, all teary eyed right I'm now. I'm like, whoa, this is so powerful. 
And so I watched my team, they're like, they're sharing, I am beautiful, I am worth it, I'm enough, I'm great, I'm this. And all of a sudden, every morning, these girls are sharing these I am statements. And so we've created this team that's uplifted who they are. Um, I gotta tell you that uh, the morning huddle, the I am statements has changed, uh, changed my practice. It was cool. powerful when I was there. I couldn't blew it blew yeah. me away. And yeah. just for the record, I, got, I did get you teary eyed during this podcast, which is awesome. <laughs> did you ever see what was that movie with Tom Cruise and the football player? Um, you had me at hello. I'm, yeah. I'm drawing the blank right now. You show uh, me the money. Show me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I just uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm with you right now, so I'm not thinking <laughs> about the name. It'll come. Everybody out there knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I just remembered, you know, Roy Firestone would interview everybody on that, and everybody yeah. would cry. Yeah. Maybe that's my maybe that's my hook. <laughs> I get you on my podcast and I'll make you cry, yeah. you know, in yeah, some, awesome. some simple way. But um, there's one more thing I want to talk about real quickly before yes. uh, we finish up, because I know we've been here for a while. I want to ask you, um, because you do one more thing in your morning. So the way it works is, by the time you come in, all the discussions have been had. The financial discussions, who, right. which mom, you're not even privy to that. You no. don't even care about that. That's right. And you go through what we just talked about, which I've started doing in my office. I show up, those conversations are done. We're going positive. We're keeping it upbeat. We're talking about yeah. goals. We're talking about the I am's. Right. The, right. What did you do right? It's wonderful. And yes. your hands in the middle, go team, yes. right? And we, we launch and everybody goes in a happy way. And, but there's one more thing you do in the morning yeah. that I've never seen anybody else do and I haven't gotten to do it yet and I hope to do it. Yeah. It's what you do with the cases. Yeah. Again, I go back to Scott and thank him for this because uh, he inspired me to do this. I've always been one to teach my assistants. And I try to get them, my, my goal is to have them be junior orthodontists. And I watched Scott, they, what they did was they would um, they'd break up into little groups and, and they would talk about the cases that were there. But what I did is I bring everybody in my private office, not big enough for 22 people, but we shove everybody in there. And then I have the assistants who are bonding up or doing a case that day, I have them present to the whole team what the case is, what the treatment plan is, what the torques for the different teeth are. And I've seen that. And uh, then we talk about it. It's amazing. You get like 20 people crammed into your private office yeah. with three screens yeah. and you show them the case just like we all did in diagnostic conference. It's diagnostic conference. It is. Without grilling them. You're not asking about no. papers and literature, but no. you'll say to them, okay, what kind of torque are we gonna use in these lower anteriors? Right, and why? Well, they'll answer, why? Anybody want to, and they'll guess wrong, and it's yes. okay, yeah. but boy, they guess right, and yeah, they, they know what they're doing. And your assistants could, I'm not saying they could treat on their own, yeah. but they sure understand why they're doing what they're That's doing. Right. And um, when you get to the chair, they explain to you in terms that you understand very easily no that question. this is what we saw, this is where we are, here's the wire I think we need to go into. Yes. I've done, you know, I've done this offset, whatever you, you know, whatever's going, and you say, great, looks wonderful, good job. And then you compliment them and they look like a rock star. Yeah. Always make your partner look good. And I love that. Empower your team. Exactly. Make them look good. Trust them. Hire the right people, yeah. train them right, trust them. But I'm, I'm hoping to get there soon. But man, it's just amazing. Yeah. And what time does your day start typically? So eight o'clock. So they get there about 45 minutes before the day starts and about right. 30 minutes beforehand you have your meeting. That's right. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's right. beautiful. For those out there who want, to, who want to change their practice overnight, start, just get the negativity out of the morning huddle. I don't care if you're a morning person, suck it up and deal with it. Yep. Um, and the other takeaway is that um, it's not just practice makes perfect, it's perfect practice makes perfect. Just like you said about football. Absolutely. Perfect practice makes perfect, yeah. right? So before I let you go, Yes. 
Um, if you've ever listened to any of my podcasts, and I'm not going to ask you if you have, because I don't want to go home and cry. <laughs> you have, I have. Student, listen to my podcast. Yeah. Um, there's 10 questions I always try to finish with. Okay. One in particular is going to be remarkably difficult for you. Okay. Just do the best you can. You got it. Because I know you well. Yeah. So um, these are the same 10 questions that James Lipton from Inside the Actors Studio had asked all of his Oscar award winning you know, interviews for 20 years. And I thought it was so great because you get some good insight to people. So, okay. you ready? Just yes. whatever comes to mind. Got it. What's your favorite word? Awesome. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Can't. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Whew. Um, authenticity. Ooh, I like that one. What turns you off? Negativity. What is I can't even ask you. What is your favorite curse word? Oh <laughs> shit. There you go, Stu. Right on. Right on, Stu. That's the word I'll say if I'm dying in a plane crash or something. Yeah. My mind. Yep. Oh fudge, we're yeah. going down. No, no fudge, it's just shit. Yeah, go listen to Chases. It's a good one. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Beautiful music. What sound or noise do you hate? Yeah, like horrible music, rocks, you know, <laughs> like, like headbanger music. Nice. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Plastic surgery. Really? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. We could fly you somewhere in the world, I guess, give you a scalpel I'd, and. I'd do it. You'd probably do it in, you know, some hands on course somewhere. Yeah. Nose jobs for orthodontics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? General dentistry. Really? Yeah. So you did, when you were a GP, you didn't enjoy being a GP? I didn't enjoy it. Interesting. It wasn't I, my passion. Never, I, I never have known. Yep. And last one, mm -hmm. I know what's going to come here. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. Beautiful. Well, like everything else in your life, everything is well done by you. Ah. Um, before we let you go, obviously I want to say thank you for this time. We're here together right now in beautiful San Mateo, California at a two-day sleep conference uh, led by the Stanford Sleep Team, which was amazing. Amazing. Um, and so I really appreciated your time. I know everybody out there really appreciates it. I know you and I have been talking about playing around and collaborating on a few little fun things that oh, yeah. will be out there when they get there. And, um, and I want to thank you personally for being such an amazing mentor in my life, being such a good friend, because I've learned so much from you uh, that's helped me in my practice on a daily basis. It's been remarkable. Thank you. I truly say it. And again, Frost Smile Academy. Yes, and I'll say one other thing. We, I do have a, my Frost Orthodontics has an um, Instagram site. I think that's probably, people would enjoy that more than my own personal one. Sure. And that's at Frost Smiles. Okay. Uh, you can you can see what we're doing social media wise because that that's a again that's another podcast for an hour right yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's a video podcast yeah. that's when I yeah. like I get that morning huddle on video that'd right. be a fun one yeah. Um, but yeah you can learn so much from this man from you know we see him as the Damon dude I, I've heard people actually oh he's that Damon guy yeah if you put people in the boxes based upon the bracket they're using mm -hmm. you are missing ninety nine point nine percent of who they are. The bracket they use is a clinical choice. The yeah. person they are is so much more. So awesome. he, he's an amazing gentleman, a great clinician, 
uh, runs a great office. Um, he does things in there that you'll be scared to do, but you just need to take that leap. And so I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. Um, anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at doc at kriegersmiles.com. As always, I really appreciate you listening. Please tell your friends about this podcast. And uh, as I think Stu would say, let's go out there and make the world a better place. Thank you, Glenn. No, sincerely, thank you. Awesome.